Stand up for righteousness. Stand up for justice. Stand up for truth. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other things, not because they are easy, but because they are hard. I truly believe that thoughts are the greatest vehicle to change power and success in the world. Victory at all costs. Victory in spite of all terror. Victory however long and hard the road may be. But without victory there is no survival. To those waiting with bated breath for that favorite media catchphrase, the U-turn, I have only one thing to say. You turn if you want to. The ladies not for turning. Nothing is more simple than greatness. Indeed, to be simple is to be great, is a quote from the well-known writer and philosopher Ralph Waldo Emerson. I thought the quote was apt for our guest today, who, like the philosopher, believes in simplicity and whose motivation is summed up in two words, do good. Our guest is Mick McCormack, former Managing Director and Chief Executive Officer of APA Group, one of Australia's leading energy infrastructure businesses. Today, we gain through a number of stories an insight into a business leader's mindset, how his early experiences growing up on the land built resilience and how whatever you want to achieve is always on the other side of fear. With a big vision and the attitude to back himself, in his 14 years at the helm, APA grew from 30 employees with assets worth $1.3 billion to 3,000 employees and assets of $24 billion, with the company delivering a compound rate of return to shareholders of over 17% per annum. Hello and welcome to another episode of No Limitations, a show where we speak to elite world-class performing men and women and unlock the secrets and influences that have shaped their destinies and that you could apply to your own life. I'm your host, Greg Robinson, Managing Partner of Blender Partners, the number one research-led executive search and board advisory firm. In this episode, Mick shares with us how he navigated the path from hard hats and steel caps to becoming an ASX 50 CEO. We learn about the authenticity of leadership, giving back, and most importantly, making sure decisions pass the mum test. So sit back and enjoy picking up sticks. Mick, welcome to the show. Great to be here, Greg. Thank you. As a high-performing chief executive, Mick, you have a pretty interesting reputation known for candor. But I thought I'd just start the show a little bit differently today. You put some views out there regarding advertising, and in particular, alcohol and gambling. What's, what's driving that? Yeah, well, uh, firstly, thanks for saying I'm high-performing. That's fantastic, <laughs> mate, because this is probably a job interview So, uh, at some stage. Look, it's interesting. I think that was, uh, what, in 19 sometime, one of the papers did a, uh, does an annual survey and what was, in fact, it, my memory come back to me was before the election mm. and it was about what would you do, the couple of things you'd change. You know, one thing that really narks me is, you know, there's a big focus on tobacco, you know, anti-tobacco, fair, fair enough. So you can't, can't advertise the smokes and, and the benefits of, of that policy are coming through. But no, I've got a family history with booze and gambling, particularly um, booze. Uh, my father killed himself uh, and took a long, long time with um, booze, um, you know, and just destroyed uh, 
for probably 30 years, uh, my, my family, even though he was a, you know, you love your father, all that sort of stuff. But yeah, yeah he spent a lot of time in institutions and all that sort of stuff. So, and yes, I'll, I'll enjoy a beer like anyone else. Yep. That's, that's the heart and soul of that. It is, it is just ridiculous that we can advertise um, alcohol yep. all over the TV, all over footy jerseys, all over whatever. And the damage that alcohol does to families, society, every Friday, Saturday night, you know, emergency wards. And equally with gambling, I've seen that the gambling just gets people and it destroys lives. As you know, I live in the bush and yeah. you see it out there and it is utterly ridiculous. It's an insult to a, a rat's intelligence to see a, an ad for gambling on the TV and then the little words spoken afterwards gambled responsibly yeah whoever does that so what have you done about it ever have, have a whinge like i'm having a whinge right now so yeah. no i remember um i spoken to, to federal politicians about it over the years you know always on gas matters principally but we'll have yep. a chat afterwards and um it just comes down to mick are you kidding we agree with you but we're not going anywhere near the gambling or alcohol or, or, or pub whoppy we need the revenues you said that, Greg, but, you know, that's one side of it. The other side is, you know, the politicians need the votes. Yeah, right. Thank so you. hugely powerful. No, no, so that's a, um, I suppose we're getting off of the podcast and a, you know, no, it's a, good a way matter to start. Uh, that's, you know, a bit close to my heart. But no, I, I and I continue to see that, the, the damage that booze does and, and, and gambling, particularly in, in regional and, and the, the bush areas. Well, let's start with that. So you grew up in Warwick, didn't you? I am at Warwick now. I grew up in Proserpine. Up okay. near, um, well, no one knows a Proserpine, but I you, know Proserpine. You mentioned Hamilton. You okay? Wow. <laughs> not, that, not far from Ely Beach, is that right? That, give that man a star. <laughs> yeah, not many people know. I was backpacking many years ago. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I won't say what you're doing up there. <laughs> I was having a good time. Or, or what grows there. <laughs> no, Proserpine's a little, little town that's. Uh, I don't know, 10 or 12 k's, I suppose, from Ely Beach. And um, my family had a, a big cane cattle operation up there. So oh, really? I grew up and I often say to people, you know, what would you do up there? Well, the, the property essentially backed the front and onto the coast and also the Prospine River. So, um, yeah, had, a, had a, a great life as a kid. Well, which Sundays are just out in front of you, are they? They were, absolutely. So it was a great, um, and I got property. I could ride a horse before I could walk and, you know, just have the, the bush life, which was great. And back in those days too, a lot of Indigenous kids floating around the property and uh, had a ton of fun. It only seemed like yesterday and in fact it's almost forgotten. You know, we'd make ba uh, uh, boomerangs, carlies, you know, the, the throwing sticks. Yep. You know, it's always better than them at dropping wallabies and stuff like that. Seriously? You know? Yeah, yeah. Hunt dugong, stuff like that. Just turtles, you can't. I yeah. suppose it's probably against the law now, but they yeah. can. But no, really idyllic upbringing in that sense. And I often say working on the farm, on the property as a, as a wee kid, that really set me on the path to one day build and run a company like APO. Yeah, but it also sounds from the introduction we just covered off, you grew up pretty quickly. Yeah, look, I saw some sort of, in the family, some bad stuff when I was a kid, but, you know, I mentioned my father, but equally, he and the people around me instilled a, a real sense of, you can either win, or you can either do something about it. So I've always tried to take the latter path. Mm -hmm. um, but no, I tell the story, you know, my first memory, apart from being on a horse, probably my second memory is picking up sticks. You know, we're clearing land, the, the rainforest scrub, that's probably a politically correct thing to say now, but you yeah. know, we used to do that. So you clear that and to grow more cane. But 
after the doze has been through and knocked it all down and put into windrows and burnt it, a lot of stumps still left in the ground. So they were all, you know, root plowed out. But what would be left would be, you know, big, big paddocks, but full of sticks from, you know, six inches to whatever that is in, in centimetres, so 15 centimetres yep. to a couple of metres. And the only way to, to get rid of them was to go and pick them up. So you'd just walk for bloody days behind a, a tractor with a big trailer on and throwing sticks in. And um, and when you're just a wee kid, you know, a day doing that feels like a year. Yeah, right. And there's just no end in sight. You know, it's just – I remember one – and I, I was probably five or six and one stage I said, right – had a stage of sit-in, said, I've had enough. Yeah, no other kid's got to do this. So father, You're on the strike. Yeah, 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 didn't work. But anyway, my father comes over and says, listen, I know you, you hate it, I hate it, but it's got to be done. And I tell you what, one day you look back and you'll thank me, just like, you know, I thank my own father for what picking up sticks really means. And I'm thinking, mate, you you know, crazy. And of course, then he said, and you also know the rules around here, Mick. You don't work, you don't eat. Yeah, right. Okay. Now, it's funny, many, many years later, the picking up sticks analogy was really about building resilience. Yeah, right. You know, persistence. You don't know when it's going to finish. Just keep going. And, and then in my professional career, same thing, telling people. You know, you get ahead by doing mostly doing the stuff that others others don't want to do, yep. and just sticking at it. Did your old man make a buck? Was the farm profitable? Very, yeah, very. Um, it was a great farm, very profitable. But as a kid, you never you never really think about those sorts of things. No, no, it was a profitable operation. All right. Yeah. And look, you've been. You said you're still floating around in the bush at the moment. So you live in Warwick. I look. I live for those that might know. It's actually it's close to Warwick. It's close to a little place called Kalani, population seven hundred. Been there 20 years. We bought a block off my wife Lyndall's parents. Yep. So, yeah, so one way or another, Greg, I've never left the bush, you know. So, is this a cattle farm or? Cattle. Yeah, okay. Yeah. I've got a few pigs and, you know, a couple of sheep to <laughs> knock over and eat and stuff like that. And, you know, as you do. You so, you, you've remained on the land pretty much your whole career? My, you? whole, my whole life. Really? Yeah, never really left. You okay. know, Prosser Pine, then to Warwick, you know, via Brisbane. But I've never really left. And, and, you know, particularly for the last, say, 20 years with APA, or the 20 years almost with APA, I commuted pretty much. Although, in the, in, you wouldn't call it commuting because the company got that big. I was going to over joint, so you try and get back to home when you could. And, and that was a decision we had to make too at the time. I know 20 years ago, my two sons, uh, Joe and George, they're 23 and 20 now. The younger bloke had a medical issue when he, when he was born, so we were down here for a short time in Sydney yep. around the time APA floated and then medical advice at the time which didn't make a lot of sense to us but we were guaranteed at work was basically um, you know take him quarantine just take him back to the farm and this this will all work itself out okay uh, which it did so it was a when I say I commuted at the time I really didn't have much choice and that was one of the things that Lyndall said to me because I said look okay I'll, I'll give up go back to Queensland and, you know, try and I'll pick up some work there or something. And she was savvy enough to say, mate, are you kidding? You know, you, we both worked bloody hard to get us where we are. You're on the cusp of, you know, APA, who knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And, you know, I've got two toddlers. Yeah, so right. 
And I said, so I often say the shareholders have been reported in media, you know, shareholders of APA got a lot to thank her for saying, yeah, let's just focus on what's important to us. Obviously mm-hmm. the health of the kids and all that sort of stuff, but yep. no point you up and coming back to Warwick or somewhere and being in 15 grand picking up rubbish or something. So um, no, and that, that's started the commute thing going. We didn't really have much choice. And, and people often say, geez, that must have been bloody hard. In a sense, it probably was, but, you know, with Lindell, you know, both country people, you know, met as teenagers, at, you know, All right. first year of uni and, you know, be married this year, 35 years. Wow. So, yeah, so no, I, I and, and the bush is, is interesting for me, the regional areas. I often say I've never had one good idea sitting in my George Street office overlooking the rest of the city. Yeah. But, mate, all the good ideas have always come when I'm on a track to fix an offence, you know, and riding a horse or, you know, just because your, your brain's cleared. And I often say to people that, yeah, you want to be a CEO, whatever it is you want to do, just make sure that to bring the best out of you, you know, you've got the right environment around you to do that. So the way my brain works is that it was fantastic just to get away from the city, um, go back home and, um, you know, just clear the brain and think about things. And I'd... I never took any work home, probably in, in 20 years, might have took some, be half a dozen times. Is that right? Yep. You know, and, and you know, you'd, I'd put in big hours down there because I had nothing else to do, whether it was yeah, here right. or travelling around. So, yep. you know, if you got an, an issue, you stay at the office all night if you wanted to. You know, I got a unit at Milson's Point there, so just, you know, you get home any time, jump into bed. You yep. know, there's no, um, so APA did very well out of me. But, one, but once I went home, um, that was it. Um, no, nothing, no, no work at all. So let's get to that. What is APA? Let's talk through that journey because you were thrown into the CEO at a pretty young <laughs> age, were you? Oh, I was probably 42, something like that. You know, some would say, my kids would say, Jesus, you're, you're over the hill. But, um, but no, it was, it was, uh, an interesting. It, the whole of APA, it's, I, whether I was lucky or whatever. I go back to picking up sticks. You know, my father always said, always do more than what you're paid to do. So, you know, always worked hard. And when I got into the, the industry early 80s, you know, out of uni. So this is the infrastructure, energy industry? Well, was it, it, was, it was pipelines. Yeah, okay. Mostly, so at the early days. So it was Mooney Oil Pipeline up in Mooney to Brisbane, up in Queensland. And, you know, doing that for a couple of years and, you know, AGL took over the business and we're now, now talking about, I don't know, mid-80s, late-80s and little things happen in your life that, that are profoundly um, important. Mm-hmm. AGL took over and we were out at Mooney. Word came around you know, on the, the blockhouse, which is control, you know, it's the best building there, notice board, you know, all operators to be here at 11 past 11 on Thursday. So I said to the boss there, the field superintendent, what's happened 11 past 11 on Thursday? And he said, well, that's when the helicopter's going to land. I said, what? Who's in the helicopter? A honcho from, and an entourage from AGL, they're the new owners. Oh, okay. So Julie at 11 past 11, helicopter lands. Honcho gets out. He became a you know, good mate of mine many years later, but um, gets out, does the, uh, you know, high... Um, as I've done many times myself now, hi, you know, my name's so-and-so, we've taken over the business, don't worry, you've all got, all, all got jobs and sketch. And when you hear that, head for the door. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, make sure you've got the CV. <laughs> yeah, mate, so 
does the spiel. So it's all over by about half past 11. And just to put it into context, I was a young bloke then, had a couple of old grizzies looking after me, but in those days they were wild. They were rough and tough in a yeah. modern oil field and you, know, you work long hours and um, not well, so What were you in charge of then? I had nothing. I was just a redneck, just a labourer, just a, you know, just, I was a entry-level job because okay. I, so anyway, this is the honcho said, let's go down, uh, it's up past 11, thinking it's pretty, pretty smart, I'll buy you all beer. And there's their 30, 40 blokes and they seasoned drinkers. So we go down to Mooney Hilton, which was the, you know. Well, the Flash Jordan town. <laughs> tin shed with a bar in it. <laughs> Yeah, one of those places where you have to, have, to, have, to have to check in for accommodation, you know, like some of the young blokes come up in the city, check in there and uh, what's my room number? What do you mean? Well, which room am I in? Well, any of them. <laughs> well, haven't they, well, they got keys? No. Well, how, how come they haven't got keys? Well, they haven't got doors. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so anyway. The, <laughs> Very trusting environment. <laughs> Anyway, cups out the honcho. We get down there about half, oh, no, half past 11, quarter to 12. Honestly, by half past one, two, he was out of it. Oh, really? Yeah, just blind, but he drunk. And this is the profound bit. Without a word of a lie, these two grizzlies who were about probably my age then, that I'm now, mm. said to me, um, that bloke there is, is a number two in AGL, got his own helicopter, you know, turns up, whatever. You've got to get out of here. You know, we can see you doing that, not falling down, getting <laughs> yeah, drunk. Because right. I, you know, yeah, yeah. So yeah. get out of here. It must have made an impression, Rick. Well, I obviously did. You know, working hard, all that sort of stuff. But equally, you know, that's just floating around in very good money on an oil field. Yeah, right. And the last thing on your mind is career and all that sort of stuff. But no, these two blokes just that prod. You know, Mick. It's all been fun for you, but if that bloke, if that's the best they can offer, mate, you you can do better than that. So, you know, they said, get your ass out of here. Yep. Get into head office, which was Brisbane at the time. And, you know, I thought about it. I gave a night there the next day or when we we come off shift, put my name, name down for a office job and, you know, the, basically the rest was history. But those two blokes, Peter Hallahan and Chris Muller, when I got this job, you know, it took a few years, obviously, but I um, dragged them up and, well, no, I didn't drag them up, looked them up and brought them down to Brisbane and, and we had a slap up feed. And it's funny, um, people then doing fly in, fly out work. Yes. You know, this is drive in, drive out. So nothing ever changes, you know, long term. I don't know, there's probably 5% of people do it and become something out of it. The rest of them, as my experience, blokes that were there, best part of 36 years ago, the younger ones are still there. Yeah, right. The only difference is they've got three more ex-wives that they're, you know, so it's just, you know, so fly and fly out if you can focus on just, I'll say to young folks, need my own sons. If you're going to do it, just, you know, work on three years, five years. Do not spend a cent out there because these days it's, you, you know, it doesn't cost you anything. Yeah, that's right. And, you know, don't waste your time and ipso facto your money, so... But no, that was look just a one of those occasions where um, you know, as I say, a couple of old grizzlies who just said, you know, obviously seen something in me, and bang. So you made the move to the big smoke. Went to the made the move to the big smoke, and then I realised that um, yeah, getting up the ladder was 
I didn't actually, and that was the, what the, get that that experience out out of Mooney. That that really set in my mind. You know, yeah, well, I wouldn't mind being a manager. You know, it's if that's what that's what they do. You know, and start to think about the, you know, um, you know, the company and this and that. And around that time, um, like it was field based the job, but you know, I started to get this um, this sort of vision, this purpose around building um, an East Coast gas grid. Right, okay. And it's interesting that um, I don't know how, that's the luck I suppose, I don't know how it sort of formed the reason, but I was obviously thinking about it, but that then become in my business career, that was, you know, I say to people, I always had the vision. Yeah, but you've got to sell your story, Mick. Mm. There's a lot of people out there with the vision. Not everybody can influence others oh. to get an outcome. So. You, how did you do that? Well, absolutely right. And, you know, there's a big difference between having a great idea That's right. and actually seeing it done. Every bugger has great ideas, but, you know, it's only a small number of people, in my experience, ever count five, four, three, two, one, bang, yep. let's go. Yeah. So, but no, answering your question, Greg, having the vision, you know, I knew what I wanted to do. Right. And then when you've got a vision, it's a lot easier, I say to people, it's a lot easier to sell a dream if you've got one yourself. So, and, you know, leadership, you've got to be able to communicate one way or another. And even that, you know, I'm not the world's most articulate person, mm-hmm. but it's not about what, how you sound, it's what you say, you know. So, no, look, I always had the vision. But it's also holding, holding the line, Mick. There's all, I'm sure you must have been a few others are saying you're a dreamer. Oh, well, I mean, a couple of things, Greg. Um, I told it. Any of the younger people, because these days people ask me, you know, because I never sought the kudos, but I get, I get a bit these days. But, mm-hmm. You know, I say, look, whatever it is, have a vision. You know, if you want to do something, you just have a vision. Uh, I will say, number two, think big. You know, I say, I'm going to, not just one pipeline, I'm going to make this thing, but the, you know, cover the country. You know, so think big. And to your point, number three, ignore the bloody critics, the naysayers, you know, the moment you want to do something and you start telling people about it, you, there's, you know, they'll be bagging you this, that, it's yeah. ridiculous, can't be done there or whatever. Um, and, you know, work hard. Um, and I say it to get, as I got to the end of my career, you know, you can start to give and, you know, think about giving giving back. But no, look, and, and with what we built at APA, it took from that time probably 30 years, 25, 30. I, know, I didn't know how it was going to happen. You know, so it, well, how did you get the guilt, the opportunity to make it happen? Well, I, I I just you know worked hard, got up the ladder, AGL spun APA out, right, which was their pipelines division, and I was a you know I was Mister Pipelines or thereabouts in AGL at the time. Okay, um, and then June 13, two thousand, there were six people floated out. You know, I was one of them, and then you know shortly thereafter, that was. There was consolidation going on in the industry, and you know, so that that was that was the mechanism to 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 get what I wanted to to achieve. I didn't know how I'd do it, okay, because you can't just say, oh, "I need to buy that pipeline, I need to build this one," because it, it just doesn't always work like that. But and it's gas we're talking, isn't it? Gas, yeah. yeah. Okay, but no, so it's it's been, you know, when you look back, you think, you know, how the bloody hell did that did did that all happen? But so what did happen? What are the key milestones? 
well, first of all, I, I got the job, got the CA job. And then after that, I started to, you know, get the best people I could. And when you're a smaller company, that's a bit hard. Yeah, but, exactly. And picking the last, say, 10 years, you know, I had absolutely had the, the best management team in the industry, in the country. That, that I think, is undisputed. They all knew where, you know, what we're trying to do, where we we're heading. How did you get the first crop? Well, like you said, you know, you haven't got a big name at that stage. Yeah, well, the, and the first crop, you know, over the, so I, I left, well, in my 15th year as CEO, but I had to change the, the, the executive team out a couple of times, yeah. which is interesting. I've ever wrote a book about experience. One of the chapters would be, it just astounds me how people get to a certain point in their, in whatever they're doing, let's just say careers now working for me. Yep. And I want to do something big, but they're intimidated by it's too big, and they just just won't want to, you know. It's just I don't want to take the risks. I don't want to change, and I'm going well. I don't know what I'm doing either, you know. I say about being a leader, CEO. The, the leader always knows what to do, even if he or she doesn't. Make it up. Just do something, you know. The way to kill morale in a team is have the leader just don't know. What do you reckon? No, just do something. So, no, my, my, my point there is that I just, fantastic people personally, great. But, you know, what's the footy analogy? You know, you're playing third division, all of a sudden you get up up to second division yep. and you haven't got the cattle. Yeah. And, and these people have just worked their guts out. And and they could probably say the same about me. As in, How do you know you can go to second division? So I don't know, but I'm the boss. So, Never doubted your ability. I didn't. I never doubt my ability. No, but yeah, okay. um, but just but just on the face of it, you know, you're making a decision to say, well, you, these great people here that have helped me get to here, helped mm-hmm. the company, just fantastic, work their hearts out. You know, you, they've they've put in, they've trained the footy analogy. Yes, but we've been, you know, promoted to second division. Yep, and they don't want to come with me. It's just. You know, it's intimidating. Yep. It's change, all that sort of stuff. Yep. Whereas me, you know, well, we, I'm, I'm a leader here. People, they don't care. They don't care how I feel, but we're going to play second grade. You know, so as mum would say, just get off your ass and do something. And then we make second grade. And then a bit later, you know, we're, we're playing first grade. And particularly in the last 10 years, because that was when the company and you know, relative sizes here in assets, you know, you're less than a billion to 24 billion when I was finished. So, Is that right? you, you know, it's, it's a, it's a pretty, as the, um, when they, my farewell gig, someone said, um, might've been the ch- current chairman, Michael Fraser said, um, you know, APA, he said, it's not me. I didn't want people thinking I was a wanker me saying it, but, um, you know, APA is a great Australian success story. You it know, is. As, uh, but, um. No, so that it's uh, that's I'm waffling on a bit there, Greg, but it just surprises me. You don't always, you can't always count on people, even though they want to go with you, yep. to actually walk down the the path. You know, they get to a certain point, and then it's you know uh, it's all it's a bit intimidating, I'm overwhelmed, or all that sort of stuff. Which, you know, I got you know those motivational sayings, maybe got thousands of them. People tell me, but. You know, invariably, whatever you want to achieve, it's always on the other side of fear. So, and if you don't want to take a step towards 
getting there, you know, the old story, get the courage after you do the thing you fear. Yeah. Exactly. And if you don't take the step, just take a deep breath and go. And in APA, you know, I was probably, probably known mostly for um, in a CEO mm. style was just, yeah, candid and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, he just did stuff, you know. And, and in APA, it was always that, that mantra, we can talk about stuff if, you know, we think it's going to work, bang, let's go and do it. And this, I see this in, in companies, uh, successful or otherwise, you know, analyse stuff to death. And, you know, my view is that if you make a decision and do something, it'll always be the best decision because you can change it. If you make a decision not to make a decision and then start six months too late yeah, right. after the game's changed, you know, make a decision and... You know, also back yourself, APO, we did some big deals, you know, and, and risky and all that sort of stuff. But um, I think I, I had a, a good sense of risk, you know, balancing risk-reward just because I'd, I'd come through the ranks in the industry. You know, I, I knew what would work. Um, and, you know, APA has stood the, the test of time and we've seen off all the, all the great and the good, you know, all the dodgy funds and all that sort of stuff. And, yeah. And these days, it's you know it's got a, a preeminent position, which you know under the new regime, um, I wish it every success, and I you know would be just very very disappointed it doesn't continue on that uh, trajectory. What motivated you? I suppose it's an interesting question. I don't tend to waste words, but you know motivation for me effectively two words. You know my whole life, do good. Do good. Just do good. And obviously there's some tentacles that come out of that. In a, you know, I, maybe it's a romantic sort of thing to say. But, you know, I, I always, I have a very strong desire to leave the planet a wee bit better than it was for the sake of me being here. And in a business sense, a career sense, I always had that vision about I'm putting something together that will, you know, last forever. You know, pipelines of 100 years, you know, so it was build a, a business that will last forever, you know, leave a, leave a legacy. And, and secondly, to get there, it was all about, you know, help some others along the way. You know, you'd be amazed, you know, how many people don't. Yeah, right. So I always remember another thing my father said to me, amazing, absolutely amazing what you can achieve if you don't care who gets the credit. You know, so, and I've always taken that view, you know, um, let's not start squabbling about, you know, who's going to get the um, the first stubby beer after, you know, let's just get the ball over the try line for rugby league, rugby union, yeah. you know, then have the party. I've, I've seen that many deals killed in other companies more, obviously not APA, yeah. for that precise reason, you know, by the time I actually think about what, you know, because everyone's jockeying for position. Yeah. Um, yeah, another one he said was, yeah, making money covers a multitude of sins. You're making money, mate. People leave you alone. <laughs> very, <laughs> so, very true. Yeah, so no, look, I, I've endeavoured to do good most, most, hopefully most of the time you, you do and whatever you touch, you know, do it for the right reasons. And, and you know, this at this stage, you know, I suppose my career and, you know, also my life, it's you get a lot more pleasure out of seeing people that you've helped along the way go on to do you know, great things in or outside APA or, you know, so, and over the years, the number of people that I've had, you know, just intersected with or they've called or they've, you know, across, you know, many different spheres, 
put a good word in here or there or tossed a few dollars somewhere, you know, so that, that's been um, very pleasing because you don't want to spend a life, well, this is me anyway, I don't want to get the back end of my life and then sit around a bloody rocking chair thinking, well, what do I do? Yeah. Do I do anything? You know, so I'd rather be able to say that, well, I don't want to be in a rocking chair either. <laughs> Another thing I used to say to at work, hey, listen, this isn't a rocking chair, you know, it's not about a lot of motion going on here, but we're not moving, are we? So get out of the rocking chair, walk. You've always got that, you know, the, the driver for me, yeah, do good. And, and I think there's a bit of responsibility that comes into, I've got to a very, in, in a relative sense, I'm not trying to sound a wanker. I mean, mm-hmm. I got a very esteemed position around a built a big company. You did, yeah. You know, so, and there's a lot of responsibility with that, I think. It's about giving back. It's about, help, you know, helping people become the best people they can be. And every CEO has got their own, you know, own desires and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, there's a responsibility, you know, pick some of the charities that, that turn your crank and support them. You know, wave the flag. Not that I'm big on, you know, pursuing social issues per se, but, you know, we've all got uh, beliefs and, and things that motivate us in that sense. So, yeah. you know, mine are, mine are well known. Was building that, that company to the scale that you got it to as hard as what you thought it would be? It, it was, you know, there are some times that it was tough, you know, talk about resilience and, you know, I, I have been involved with every manner of M&A activity, probably more so than anyone currently working in australia is that right i've had hostile takeovers friendly takeovers mergers dust-ups stand-up fights almost you know legal been dragged into courts and you know just everything you know and and that all came back to you know i believed i was doing the right thing and you know had the vision i got to do this because it's the right thing to do to get that vision um, materialized so yes. and in a business sense too you know i mentioned mum a couple of times uh, she still looms large very large in my life she's up in proserpine 85 86 but you know i always said the markets down the southern states always laughed at me saying this but i've been saying it from day one but and they didn't they realize how true it was she wasn't our biggest shareholder but she's certainly the most important one so very easy for me making decisions about what's right and wrong and you know when you're thinking about well I'm not, no way I'm going to be calling mum one day and saying oh mum um, got some good and bad news good news is I've just been sacked you'll see a bit more of me the bad news is I've just dusted your super yeah right so you so I always had the mum test in the sense of decisions as in you know they may not work out but we we pursued those decisions very diligently, went through the best process and just made the wrong decision. Thankfully that didn't really happen much mm-hmm. in, in a in a big big scale. And and equally with the communication I personally and even, even through the company, it could be said I was some sort of or sort of dictator uh, in, in APA in the sense of our external communications. I just hated waffle in, in communication. So all the um, Press releases, ASX announcement, all that sort of stuff. Just plain, simple language again, so that my mother could understand it. Never ceased to amaze me that how many people think by writing, you know, a whole lot of waffle and dressing it up with words so you can't understand it. They think that's really smart and really intelligent, which again, that's you, that's great for you. But if no bugger can understand it, 
Yeah. You know, we're going backwards. So, How much time did you actually spend on people? Interesting. Uh, you know, when we started the business with six people, Yeah, right. you know, about 5% and 95% on getting in the business and moving it on. When I finished, I'd say probably completely reversed, you know, 95% in – because that might sound a lot, but when you think of the company, got, it gets big. You know, so, so what was so, the scale of the operation when you left? Well, the, the comp inside the company, the company speaks about three and a half thousand people. Up. Yep. So, but but what happens is you have the processes. You know, the executives got their own systems and processes and all that sort of thing. So, the issues that I get involved with, you know, as I say, it flippantly last four or five years. Probably only made two or three decisions a year. Yeah. Right. It, there are obviously some big ones. You know, yeah. as in we're going to go and do this or not. But no, you, you tended to get you know caught up in a lot of people issues one way or another. You know, making sure that people were were conducting themselves uh, in accordance with you know how you know the, the the APA way. Okay. And I've I've always said you know I you judge anyone APA you judge me you know you walk your own talk. So, and that's when you have that approach it makes life pretty simple too. You know you're always pretty circumspect about you know, what you get up to. Mick, as you said, you covered a lot of M&A activity and M&A activity is around a lot of the time the art of negotiation. What is the art of negotiation, Mick? Yeah, I'd say two things. The first thing is mechanically uh, never split the difference. Okay, so if you want 20 bucks and I want 10, you know, let's get to the, the right number that's fair to you and fair to me. You know, so it may not be 15 bucks because that might be given. But more importantly. But can you work me out pretty quick, Mick? Are you good at that sort of stuff? Well, you have to be. I'd never, I'd never buy a used car off you, Greg. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you got that face, mate. <laughs> Plus, I know my cars. <laughs> no, more importantly, um, I wait, negotiation is simple, just not easy sometimes. If you work, towards a fair outcome vis-a-vis i'd always say just make sure you leave something on the table for the other person so if the other person goes away at the time they might think oh this is okay but you go away thinking oh fantastic you've you've dudded them it'll get picked up at some stage and whenever you dud someone not that i've done it (laughs) but you know whenever someone walks away from negotiation feeling or they find out they've been dudded invariably you'll find yourself in another negotiation, another time and place that, you know, they'll turn up with one thing to shaft you and get you back. Yeah, you right. So you're just better off. Um, now, in, in, in our line of work, you know, hard infrastructure, um, geez, there's, you know, the negotiation and a long-term contract. So That's you right. have some pretty – Big scale. Big, and you'd have some pretty robust discussions and all that sort of stuff. But, you know, at the end of the day, you'd try and do the best for, for both sides. Shake hands, you know, have a have a drink or whatever it is that you do, and you know, get on with it, and then do the same thing in five years or ten years. So, so, so your so your philosophy seems to be don't overcomplicate. Oh, mate, exactly. Another another thing that's my mantra, you know, don't overthink stuff because you know, again, people think by overthinking and over talking and over analysing that you know you get just you know if something feels good to me, it's good. You know, your gut feels never wrong. You know, if you so, and I, you know, all the M and A stuff, you know, it, it, all modelling and had the smartest, pe- all that sort of stuff. But all the stuff we did between the the, well, name the individuals, you know, great, uh, great 
executives, best I've ever run across. Peter Fredrickson was a CFO. Ross yep. Gersbach was the head of strategy. And I'd say, you know, Peter was good old-fashioned CFO. You know, um, whenever he'd say we're going to buy something, he'd, he'd bang. He'd throw the keys the safer way, as in, you know, because his job, protect the balance sheet. You want to buy something, it's got to work. So tell me. And then with Ross, great, just a really fantastic free thinker or have really all, just the ideas. Yeah. And, of course, me in the middle there, so between – <laughs> a spectrum so wide between a CFO like that and a strategy guy. Yeah. And no, we, we'd kick the deals around and, you know, it might take five minutes or two hours, but yeah, okay, that's around, that's the rough shape. Good. Yeah. And you see, your gut feel would say, would say to me, yeah, that's going to work. So, and then we'd go and do the analysis, knowing we're going to do the deal. See, whereas most times I think people may not have the knowledge, experience, whatever, to, to, get the essence of if a deal will work without going through a lot of analysis and all that sort of stuff. And once you do that, nothing wrong with it. You ha it has to be done. It's just the order in which you do it. If, if it's all about analysis to make a decision, we'll move so quickly, that might take six months. You know, deal's done. And so, you know, I've, I've um, the old story, the only things I've ever you know, got wrong, I knew I got wrong because my gut was saying, don't do it. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah and okay. you think, oh, you know, you listen to people, whatever. But, yeah, no, I'm um, – geez, I probably sound like I'm so what do you do, do all you, over the place. So, you know, so when you make these calls, do you pick the phone up and speak to many other people or that's – at the end of the day, I've heard you too. Yeah. Colleagues, and I'm the chief exec, and I'm got, I've got to make the call. I don't know what the answer is, as in what, what I should say, but I can tell you what I did do. Okay. Um, yeah, that's exactly it, Greg. And people always stunned. Really? Yeah, but that, but – and as I said earlier, I guess that's what you're being paid for. Exactly right. Make a decision. But as I said earlier, you you know I set the executives. So you got to stick. You, you know you, you're the boss. You're the leader. So don't do things that don't get the best out of you. So don't put yourself in an environment that you yeah, know I had okay, whatever it was seven or eight or not people working directly for me. Um, loved them all. But in respect of you know investment decisions, you know my brain works best when I, I, I'm just in a small team with the people that actually know what, what they're talking about. Yeah, right. You know, so whilst you can consult, that doesn't help me make a decision. So it just came comes down to, you know, the big, big issues like that, have that discussion, um, make the – and, you know, I'd say, well, okay. Sometimes they didn't even believe me. I said, that's going to work. Really? But we haven't told you the whole – no, it's going to work. Just – get the modeling done and we'll, we'll get cracking on it so sounds very instinctive mick question for you you know this industry inside and out if we were to dump you into another industry mm. how would your instinct go then yeah look um good question mm. um and of course i'm duty bound to say that it would work perfectly greg <laughs> but I, as so as you're as, the used car salesman <laughs> <laughs> as but but Oh, I think I've, I've, you know, I think I've got a very, very good um, risk meter that I think, and, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not a dunce. Obviously, you, you pick up the essence. Any industry, any business, there's, there's three or five drivers that that dictates its future. Yeah, right. You know, there's not 420. Yeah. You know, and that probably goes back to the, the small team, Ross and Peter. You know, there's doing an M and A deal, run an APA. You know, there's only a there's a couple of drivers that um, you know you you can melt it down to two. 
grow your revenue, constrain your costs. You know, I'm a business guru. Yeah. But, yeah. but how many people just lose sight of that, you know, because they're, tr- they're, you know, they're trying to get 400 drivers there and, you know, just don't overcomplicate it. You, you, you do pick out what are the – and every business, every industry, it's just got to be no more than one handful of, of really big drivers that determine success or otherwise. And as long as you stay on the right side of the line of those – you know, you'll you'll do okay, and that's just, that just feeds into, you know, once once I got to understand those, you know, I, I think I'd I'd be able to hold my own. A lot of chief execs out there are pretty frustrated at the moment because of the ramifications of the Hain Royal Commission and their belief that some of the boards have got incredibly risk averse, and which is natural. Yeah. You're talking big decisions, big risks. The stakeholders here. How'd you bring them along? Yeah. Um, in the early days, it was it was pretty difficult because you you know, you're a new CEO, you're young or younger, you know, and you know you had to explain a, a lot more. But you know, go back to making money covers a multitude of sins. Yeah, right, you know, yeah. you build slowly, build a reputation, and you know, as the old cocky saying goes, the reputation comes in on the back of a snail but it leaves on the back of a brumby that you just bird, you know. So like as in people better know, you're a wild horse real quick. Yeah. So and in the listed space, you build that reputation. You find investors, they might think, geez, that's a bit interesting, but the, the, but the track record they've got, yeah, we'll roll the dice again and again. And, you know, I started the – we're looking at the, the U.S., yeah, you know, yep. so you start warming investors up about that. Yep. Again, same thing. You know, I wouldn't be doing it if the prospects weren't there and we had a, a, a better than fair shot of, of doing something. Now, I just make the point that my comments on the US, I mean, that's current with APA now. That's yep. a, I, I don't know, I haven't spoken to APA. You know, that's, that's whatever they're doing, good luck to them. Yeah, um, right. But, you know, I, I was, I, I, st- I set the platform up there. and But yeah, no, it, it comes down to, build your reputation you know and you'll you'll bring people along with you because they trust you didn't get rattled by the whole analyst stakeholder process you know oh, a lot of number of chief execs or cfos yeah, they yeah. get they get they finally get to the top and they get to first grade yeah. and they're out there presenting and they fall apart yeah look i, I suppose it's a confidence game being a ceo for his, his solicitor company is a confidence game you know I, that's being a bit dismissive of, and I'm not, I'm not being dismissive of other CEOs. I'm being dismissive of me. Yeah, okay. you know, it's a confidence game. Um, obviously, you got to make money and all that sort of stuff. But it goes back to people expect you to be able to lead. So if you if you don't think you can just make it up, you know, just get going, do something. So now it's a, it, you get more confident as your success. You know, you keep doing bigger and bigger things and all that sort of stuff. But but, you know, as you get older too, you get a bit more crusty. I mean, I, no, nothing narks me than a 22-year-old with pimples, typically male, telling me, you know, now I'm an old grizzly, you know, how to run a business. Like, ask a stupid question, mm. you know, so they like, get a slap around the chops. But with stakeholders generally, there's changing responsibilities, you know, the Payne Royal Commission, yep. you know, all the, the social awareness and all that sort of thing. Yep. And, you know, I think the business community's probably brought a fair chunk of that on himself. Yeah. You know, a lot of, you know, CEOs in, can easily drop into la-la land with the trappings of the office. You know, 
probably giving away trade secrets here. What do you what, losing sight of what they're there for? You yeah, mean? yeah. Well, mate, I'm giving away the trade secrets here. You know, you get to see a reasonable sized company, but you get invited to everything that opens and shuts. Yes. You know, your Duchess, in my case, around the world. You know, you got to, and you know, I always took the view there's no such thing as a free lunch. You know, so you're representing the business. You're there for the business. If you want to go and you know buggerize around the tennis or something like that, just that's why I never saw me doing stuff that was public. Yeah, right. Apart from the band, that's you know it's a different story. But just because you know, it just it just not wasn't me. You know, I've gone to the footy, I've been to the boxes a couple of times, but you know, you, that just becomes a yeah, bit of a benefit that you might you know take up every now and again. But the point is, it's it's you know, CEO, it's easy. CEOs can for the ego gets them. You know, they start to think they're geniuses and this and that, and yeah. you know that's and that's after you know one or two years of good results. I think you get into genius territory, anything north of five or ten, you know. Shit, that's put me in genius territory, doesn't it? Yeah, you're in the stratosphere. Yeah. Oh well, that wasn't intended. Maybe I, I just so I just got the corner office one day 15 years ago, and and uh, no one's kicked me out since. <laughs> what about you know you got some pretty strong values. Do you think business interacts well enough with government? Well, talking of values, Craig, you know that's a that's an interesting proposition in mm, the sense of in, but between what's the values of our current government? You know what's the values of the current of, of those in 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 the political? You know the bit. What are the values? But yeah, with interacting with government, um, you know you you turn yourself into a lobbyist. You know you're there to you know want to change something or get something. Uh, in our case, in the belief that you're going to make Australia a better place. Yeah. You know, that that's goes to my core. You know, what I'm doing, what we're trying to do is make Australia a better place. We're taking gas that never been to places they've been before. And now they got gas, their lives are better. Uh, and then politicians, um, and, you know, it's a well-worn path. You know, there's a, not a real lot of objectivity in there because they're all chasing the, uh, the votes for the next election. No, it, it comes with the territory, you know. Some things you like as part of the job, some things you don't, but uh, irrespective, no one cares. You know, CEOs get paid way too much money, so just shut the F up and get on, you know. So that's what people expect you to do. Put the game face on. Speaking of the game face, the manufacturing fraternity out there are hitting the wall in this country. Yep. Because the price of your product coming through, well, not your pipe, but the stuff going through your pipes is, is breaking a lot of them. Yep. What's going on, Mick? But, um, You've got a better view than most of us. <laughs> you know, it's easier to, to to rehash the history, but, you know, when you look back, I don't know, in 10 or 15, 20 years' time, people are going to wonder how the bloody hell did that happen? Yeah. But, you know, short and sweet, there was, you know, a couple of big gas export projects at Gladstone came on. They are all sanctioned at the same time. You know, governments, the powers that be should have said, well, let's just do this in a bit more orderly fashion rather than, than having three separate projects do what they do everywhere else on the planet all join forces unitize it and you know build four or five trains or three or four and you know just scale it up yep now that's not knocking them because at the time they thought there's plenty of gas because we can just keep drilling the, the coal seam gas wells and whatnot which is that you know a fair enough proposition but concurrent with that the state governments apart from my home state of queensland of course um, started to make it more difficult to get access to gas so 
you've got a um, demand that's taking gas offshore yeah. and an inability to access gas onshore for domestic market. So um, no, it's caused a big fuss, but that is, that's, you know, it should have been just a lack of, lack of foresight, lack of policy, and that gets into um, energy policy. You know, the, the issue today is just so polarising. You know, I, I live in a regional area in the bush. Yep. So out there they couldn't give a rat's about renewables because they've been, you know, their belief is that it, it's renewables that have forced up their um, power bills and out there they travel the power bills and that's real money for them. Yeah. You know, they're not sitting around here in Sydney and, you know, paying off a couple of BMWs, the lease payments and houses and that sort of stuff, you know, five or 600 bucks. A year for power out there is a lot of money. Yeah, right. And if it, that doubles or it has doubled, um, whereas down here in the cities, it's it's the opposite end of the spectrum. Everything we we got to have more renewables. You know, got to get rid of coal. So when you when you got this hugely polarized, it's not even a debate. You can't get any middle ground, and the answer is simple, just not easy. I only got about three or four sayings. Eh? <laughs> Everything's simple, just not easy. It, and it started with, uh, I can go back to John Howard days, you know, price on carbon. The whole plan was to let the market work it out. So you start with a, you know, call it a one cent per tonne price on carbon, which is nothing. Yep. And then say over 25 years or 30 years, it's going to go to, you know, $1,000 or whatever and have a trading system. Leave it alone and then business would just slowly, as more power was required, they would shut down the most expensive coal-fired generator, replace it with gas. Yep. And, you know, five or 10, 20 years later, gas would be, you know, slowly being replaced by renewables and all that sort of stuff. But success of after Howard, I mean, that's personal view, I think it's a great idea, but success of federal governments just bastardised it. You know, you had state governments went berserk on feed-in tariffs for solar panels and wind farms, which, you know, APA, when we invested... Heaps and heaps, heaps of them, all to, all with the result that the integrity of the grid has been compromised, yeah. and that's where we are today. But I always used to lament that, you know, I, I probably see the future through a little bit rose-coloured glasses, Greg. But Howard and Keating and Hawke, even Costello as politicians, could do what the best politicians could do. You know, synthesise an issue into an argument and sell it. You know, there's going to be winners, there's going to be losers, but, you know, for the greater good, let's do it. Just from where I'm sitting these days, uh, politicians can't seem to be able to <laughs> synthesise and sell an argument. So, and where do you see the whole energy policy? Is there, is there one? Well, there's not one. That's the problem. So there's, there's state-based schemes and businesses are, are going about, you know, doing what they have to do to try and uh, make some money, but it's it's just a... You know, Australia is in a mess and we started the, this part of the conversation on the manufacturing. That's we're, right. We're yeah. in a mess because of a lack of, of clarity around um, energy policy. Again, it, it's simple. Um, the states and the federal government just need to, oh, it's impo apparently it's impossible, nut out a plan that will sort out some targets, you know, as in emission targets, <laughs> by when and, you know, who's going to pay. And what, why, by that I mean it, it's if people in the bush are going to see their, their power bills go up relatively to those in the city, you know, there's got to be some some adjustment for that. So, you know, yeah. the, the pain is, is sort of spread around. It's not a hard proposition to get your head around, but, you know, 
unfortunately, in a pragmatic sense, is not going anywhere. You know, everybody wants, even out where I am, you know, we're out you know, <laughs> they're all like me to the right of Artillery Han, but, you know, we all want green energy, everyone. But, but out there, the issue is we don't want that at the expense of what they see, short-term jobs yeah. and cost, Yep. you know. So, um, so it's all about, you know, affordability, reliability and the environment. And out there, that's, that's, that's the order, mostly. You know, it might be reliability and affordability and the environment, but, you know, that's – whereas here, it's just environment. Forget the rest. Yeah, right. It's only part of the equation. Oh, and look, I, I, I can go on this. Uh, this has all been well publicised, Greg. I mean, I've been sprouting this in the media for years. And, you know, I, I, I had hoped that, I don't know, a couple of years ago when they had the, let's just say, the big blackout in, in South Australia. Oh, yeah. I, I assumed that, gee whiz, it's a hard lesson to be learned, but that'll be the lightning rod, you know, that, that all politicians everywhere in Australia will go, right, we've got to fix this. You know, we can't have this happening again. Yeah. You know, just woeful stories of... There's people in APA, you know, had had IVF stuff, you know, had eggs frozen, you know, lose them, you know. So just you'd think, oh, what happened? Nothing. Yeah. So I'm probably, for all my Victorian friends, you know, unless the grand final's blacked out, you know, there's got to be something to people just seem, oh, well, fair enough. It's, you know, I think it's atrocious. Um, in a first world country like Australia, a state gets blacked out for a, for a week, yeah, and then we have this still crazy every summer. There's going to be more potential, more blackouts. I mean, it's just ridiculous. Let me ask you about another one: foreign investment. You've been on the end of that. I've been on the end of that. Yeah, yeah. Look, it's it's. Uh, Why don't you talk us through the story? Oh, I know. Well, you get APA is going along quite well, and you get a, a, a takeover offer from. Uh, CKI, Chung Kung Infrastructure out of Hong Kong, who, you know, we've known for, for a long time, worked with them. And at the time, the offer was big enough to, you know, it was a big, big 25 billion or something, whatever it was. But um, anyway, board went through the proper processes and said, yep, yeah, um, we'll, we'll tweak it a bit and, and accept it. And that would have happened, that would have been the end of APA. But in the process, the treasurer's got to sign off on certain foreign investment. And this is certainly, you know, it made the hurdles all right. Turnbull, he got rolled and Morrison was installed and just as fate would play out, that that takeover got picked up by the right of the Liberal Party and then you had some really crazy stuff, you know, um, anti, was just anti-Chinese. I'm not a a spruker for CKI, but, you know, it it was crazy. They're based in Hong Kong or head office in Hong Kong, um, obviously. You know, and all the stuff about mainland China controlling them and, and people just run away or let their imaginations be be run away from them by others. People saying things, oh, the Chinese government can, you know, they'll turn off the gas and shut down, you know, blackout and this and that. And, you know, it's just patently stupid, just impossible. But, um, but in investment generally... This is hard infrastructure, so they c- you can't take it home. And they they simply wanted to to get a revenue stream out of it. So you just like rent the house, buy the house, and you know you'll get rent. And infrastructure, like a lot of investment that's required in Australia, it ought not matter who owns it if it's here to benefit Australia. You know, it's it's pretty simple. And you know, anyway, it it, it failed, and um and and that was that. What was the learnings, Mick? Because all throughout your career, you surely must have had 
pretty decent rapport with the governments along the way. Uh, oh, infrastructure look, programs, all, and then yeah. you got this one coming, this big one. Yeah. How was the dialogue? Oh, no dialogue was there, but you know, it was. I can say this now it was they said to me a political decision. Yeah, right. Bang, you know, you know, as they say, what's going to get us? What's going to lose us less votes, Mick? Saying yes to a what's seen as a Chinese takeover of a, a uniquely Australian company you've built. Yeah, right. Or no. So that was the heads up. They didn't tell me what the decision would be, but that was the that was the message. You work it out. Yeah, right. <laughs> so, yeah. So what happens to APA now? Does it go offshore? What, oh, what, what, what are the big plants? I know you've moved on, so we're oh, not, it's, yeah, uh, look, this um, may be theory, but what, yeah, what do no, you see going forward? Well, they've got, they've, um, got a, you know, I think, a very strong platform here in Australia to continue to build out. There's, there's opportunities uh, from one end of the country to the other. There's lots of assets that, that uh, energy infrastructure assets need to be built or they'll be sold. And the thing about um, hard infrastructure, large scale, it's a, it's a scale game. You know, it's like the, you, you got one cattle property, nobody can outbid you on the property next door or as in, or someone from 200 miles away because, you know, what we've got to do is just open the fence. Yeah, right. And it's, you know, I don't need to put three more stock people on. So you get the scale economies. Yep. So adding more assets, so your unit costs go down. And the US, US, big, big market, you know, and it's, um, when, when I was looking at it, huge market. And they need they need a point of investment. But for, can we compete as an Australian company in the US? Well, the interesting thing is over there, there's that much gas that is in places that there there isn't gas pipelines. And their economy oh, right. is so big that putting it into infrastructure, they've got a lack of funds. So interestingly, the regulator returns in the US are much higher than what they are here. Because over oh, there, right. they've got a guarantee higher return to get the money to come and get invested. Right, okay. And that was just, I'm dropping back into my APA presentation days, Greg, but short and sweet. Last 150 years, gas went from Gulf of Mexico, basically northeast to New York. Right, okay. Very generally speaking. Yep. Last, say, 10, 15 years, shale gas revolution, all of a sudden Marcellus Basin, for example, a couple of hundred k's north of New York. Yep. More gas than they've ever seen. Yep. So it just turns the whole industry on its head. So, no, you know, so that means that more infrastructure has to be uh, built. So should we have fracking in this country? Um, well. This is a difficult one because you're a farmer as yeah, well. Yeah, and, don't, and, you know, I guess the next question is going to be, hey, Mick, if someone knocks on the door and want to uh, <laughs> frack, what are you going to say? And I'll, I'll answer that one first, Greg. My answer is, well, how much are you going to pay me? Look, um, fracking up in the U.S., and leaving aside any geological differences, mm. it's been hugely beneficial to them. Yeah. I mean, they've lowered, lowered emission. That is argument with two boys on the weekend. They said, no, 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 it could be right. Donald Trump, emissions gone up. No, no, just leave Donald Trump out of it. The simple fact is that with so much gas coming in, it's displacing coal, displacing coal so yeah. their emissions have, have reduced, you know, relatively speaking, significantly. But equally here, you know, we've been fracking for 50 years, that, again, shake your head because you, you don't realise. No, I don't. No, you know. Have we really? Yeah, because all the, all the, the, the your classic sedimentary basins have all been fracked. It's just that in traditional oil and gas, you, you'll have a field with a dozen wells or ten or twelve, whatever, and there there are a couple of caves downstairs. So they they, they are stimulated. Uh, okay. Yep. Okay. The difference is that coal seam shale gas. Um, typically, it's a lot shallower. 
Yep. And there's hundreds, if not thousands of wells. So once you start fracking that, um, you know, people say there's been cases of, um, you know, water migrating and all that sort of stuff. But I'm not sure, you know, I, I won't dismiss that, but on the balance of probability and, you know, what I know, you know, my operational engineering background, the work that goes into drilling um, hydrocarbon wells now of where the coals is just, you know, the cement casings, all sorts of stuff. They're all case and, and cement, you know, caps and, and collars on them. So, whereas, you know, I probably, relatively speaking, see more damage done by cockies just <laughs> drilling bores for water. Yeah, right. Okay. okay. I don't give a rat's about, you know, going through aquifers. But, but I, it's, it's a bit problematic because Australia is blessed with a lot of gas. It just so happens that a fair chunk of it is in coal seams. So, you get access to it. That benefits the economy. What about offshore, Mick? In the sense of. Uh, Plentiful gas supplies? Like, is Australia good with gas? Oh, if you ask manufacturers, they'd say no because of the price. And let's say, let's, okay, right. let's say we're not good with gas, but the fact is there's plenty of gas here, you just can't get access to it. And, and that's the problem. Yeah, right. You know, in New South, you know, you, there's a ban on, on exploration, in fact, ban on drilling in Victoria full stop. You know, Victoria gets most of the gas from Queensland. Goes through APA pipes, happy to do that. I'm not talking down APA's prospects either, but you know, it'd yeah. make a lot more sense for Victorians to let, you know, do some more exploration there. What's leadership, Mick? Mate, leadership, leadership's getting on with people. Yeah, no, I've got, I've got to say something profound, haven't I? What's leadership? Um, as I said earlier, you know, if you're a leader, you've got to at least pretend you know the way forward. You know, and be surprised how many people they not only don't know the way forward, but don't even pretend they do. But, you know, once you know where you're going, that's 95% of the battle. And then, because it's never you that does things, and that's where, you know, I often say the number one rule about being a CEO is getting on with people, you know, in, in the sense of um, we're all different style of people, but, you know, if we're working for a common, common goal, it's bringing the best out of people, so get on with people. And that, that sounds probably easier than what it might, might you know, people might think it is. But, you know, I never, it's, it's be real, you know, um, authentic. You know, I said, leave something on the table negotiating, same with interaction with people, you know, leave a bit of heart on the table as well. You know, so don't, it's not just, you know, uh, I'm not a, in the army, leadership's easy. I've become a captain or a general, and I've never been in the army. I just, I just imagine this is what it's like. You can be any style, but if you get to be a captain or whatever, you, people don't have to like you or vice versa, but they got to do what you say. Whereas in, in the corporate world, the real world, they don't have to do what they say, what you say. And you, know, you, can, be, you can be passively aggressive in the sense of, oh, I'm just, you know, I'm going slow. I don't want, so you got to bring people along. And um, that's, that's about being, you know, having the dream for a start and making us, you know, send a signal out there that, you, you know, this is where we're heading. I don't know how we get there, but we will get there. Yeah, look, you know, when it comes down, you know, we all got to be in the boat together, you know, and, and you don't want to get a crab and, and kick someone out. But and look, just on on that um, APA, pretty famous for having the no dickhead rule. Yeah, right. Which is simple, you know, a culture of an organisation set by the by the boss. So the organisation, you you to work effectively. 
you've got to have you know most people aligned to the culture and the culture of APA or comp- the company or East uh, Sydney Roosters, you know, whatever works for them, you've got to have people sign up the culture. Do you set the culture? Absolutely. As the Israelis say, fish always rots from the head, you know. So, yep. you know, if, if, the, if the boss doesn't set the culture, get rid of the boss because obviously the boss has not been re- respected. You know, I've been in APA from day one. You know, yep. if you don't like the people asking about the culture of APA, you're looking at it. Yeah. Sorry, when I was there. Yeah. Don't know what the culture of APA is now, but even though it's only a few months since I, I don't – anyway, so that's simple. You're looking at it. I was going to say, someone took that advice very seriously, particularly in 2018 and as a Queenslander, didn't you? Didn't you help us New South Wales? <laughs> That's a funny, yeah, mate. The, one of my, I got a thousand, I got, te- I got thousands of bloody airline story because I just spent my whole, you know, like years and years on planes. You know, one time I was going home on a Friday afternoon and obviously the- And this is a true story, right? This is a true, well, I haven't said anything <laughs> untrue so far. Okay. Um, so, no, I'm not bullshitting. I'm on, on a plane- um, we're going Bris- Sydney to Brisbane, and obviously the Broncos are playing because you know the Channel Nine commentary team. They'd come on board, and you know I've never met them, but you obviously know there's Gus Gould and Freddie Fittler and a couple of others. Rabbits Warren, I think, was yeah. there, you know, and they are flying pretty good because they're up in business class. Anyway, I'm 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 sitting down there, and I don't know one eight one whatever. Because even if I buy board discount economy fare, I travel so much, I was always getting up anyway. Just to, you know, <laughs> just to put it out there that, um, that I, I wouldn't pay my own way going home. Um, anyway, the attendants were making a bit of a fuss of me in the sense of Miss McCormack, would you like a drink and this and that, you know. And it's, anyway, Freddie, Brad, who I'd never met, I knew who he was, he just said, um, mate, who are you? Making a bit of a fuss of me. So I just travel a real lot, you know. So we got talking and um, he said, what do you do? I said, I'm a CEO and... You know, whatever, whatever. And I said to him, um, So he's sitting beside you. He's sitting beside me. Yeah. And, I, and this was a year before he took over the New South Wales Origin gig. So obviously, in the, the season before that. Yeah. And I said, Oh, what's, um, what's happening? You, I read you're thinking about saddling up for the boys coach. And he said, Yeah, I, I am thinking about it. I'm just, you know, I just got to make a decision. And I said, What's the issue? And he said, Well, you know, some big. Some big. These are my words. I forget what he exactly said. You know, some big egos floating around the setup, and you know, if I if I put my hand up, you know, I want to have a. I don't want to be running someone else's, you know, agenda there. I want a free reign. And I said, sounds like you want to make up a change. And he said, yeah. Well, I'd like to clean out a few. You know, I'll call them the old stars there, and that wouldn't go down real well. And and he said, you know, you see, what would you do? I said, mate, it's easy. You know. CEO job, you turn up wanting a job to a board, you got to turn up with your plan. If you turn up with your plan that's been tainted by, you got to, you know, this is my plan, but I have to do this, this, because someone else, you know, around the, you want the gig, turn up with your plan and you're responsible for it. And anyone else, you know, tell them to whatever. But, but anyway, if you're successful, they'll all think it was their plan anyway. <laughs> so, that's very uh, true. So, yeah, that he said. But if yeah. you're unsuccessful, it was your plan. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah, that's the same old stuff as they're doing, right? Um, if, if, if something works, it's, it's your plan. If something doesn't, bloody boss's fault. So, anyway, we, we parted company there, and shortly thereafter, it gets announced and cleaned out a couple of, you know, someone just like you said, he was so, yeah. 
So don't. This isn't going to Queensland, is it? This podcast. <laughs> no, I'll get, I'll get tarred and feathered. So yeah, folks. I, uh, I, and not only that, nineteen as well. So I, I, it's down to me that the uh, the Maroons have lost the last two series. Didn't you get a text? <laughs> Come on, finish the story. <laughs> no, that's that's. The, I don't want. I don't want to incriminate myself anymore. Thank you. I thought you got yeah, a text saying no. thank you very much. <laughs> <laughs> Took your advice. <laughs> I'm going very red now. I'm going to get shot. I'm going to go. Another classic story. Um, I'm coming back from Brisbane to Sydney one Saturday, Sunday night, late, and I'm on the plane. And there's obviously there was a band getting on because you know being a musician, you just know what they look like. You know, wearing black and all that sort of stuff, dark sunglasses, and you know everything else. And I had to get up the front there, and there's a vacant seat, so everyone had sat down. And I'm thinking, I wonder who this bloke is. So he turns up, sits down, big fella, wearing a leather jacket and of course i'm you know you should you shouldn't you should check yourself you know i couldn't i was obviously you know, <laughs> looking over so plane starts to to taxi down the runway and he must see me and he said um hi how are you going in american accent yeah good good i'm thinking i'm trying to work out he said oh i'm um i'm marvin a day or something like that marvin michael a day i dare Oh, okay, but you look sort of look familiar. He said, um, "Yeah, I'm known as Meatloaf," and I said, "You know, one of my 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 smarter comments, Meatloaf. So what do I call you, Meat or Mister Loaf?" No. <laughs> <laughs> he laughed his head off. <laughs> yeah, no, I got a thousand of those. But so you're a musician yourself, are you? I am. Um, well, a poor one these days, but years ago I was very good. I um, played drums, so. On the property at home, went to boarding school. You just always loved the drums, picked that up and, and going through uni, um, played a lot around Brisbane and the Gold Coast, that sort of stuff. At home at Proserpine, at the islands then, um, in Hayman Island, all that sort of the, um, go and you know, be a substitute drummer for a lot of the acts that come, that come through the place. You know, they'd bring their own bands, but, um, if you're going to be there for a couple of weeks, you can't guarantee that, that, that everyone in your band's going to be, you know, always uh, healthy and whatever and now a funny occasion um at Heyman, i don't know this would have been late 70s early 80s the musical director said mick come over and um called me up so went and played and then i don't know was it 20 years later i'm running apa and the musical director had a a baby girl at the time and that baby girl was maybe 25 years later was a uh, became an accountant who was worked at APA and we were talking one day about this and that and and blow me down they um she had some photos and here's a photo <laughs> of me with you know a bit longer hair you know the 16 year old or 18 whatever it was which went in the company APA magazine as in just a small world eh so, tiny world no same old story Greg you get Focus, uh, you know, you want to, um, yeah, might go and play the drums or might, you know, do something else. And, you know, of course, my mother gave me the, the words of wisdom. How about you go and get a real job? <laughs> and if you're any good at the real job, you can put the band back together. So, you know, funnily enough, 20, uh, 25 years later, that's what I did. You do the Christmas parties? Yeah, we started about, I'd had, the, I got this, the, I'd been CEO over a couple of years. And I thought, oh, you know, CEO's prerogative. I'll, I'll get a, um, sort of got a covers band the first year. Another about 40 people in the company sort of said the drummer, you know, take off, you get paid. It's like, no, okay, it's okay. It's, it's, it, this is safe. Okay. <laughs> so, and then after that, um, 
more people, the company got bigger and more people came out of the company to pay. So, and when I, I've been very fortunate because back in those days, you, 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 you pay for some big crowds and big rooms and stuff like that. And, but the people that came out in APA, like most, most musos, you know, they, 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 they want to pay, but you can't, it's hard to get an audience to pay to. It was like killing two birds at one stone. Fantastic to see the them developers, music, musicians, and also as people, just great. And bands are fantastic, like footy team, you know, just the Cron Marjorie there. But and uh, more importantly, we had a captive audience. So yeah, right. And then the uh, it got to bit, you know, it got to sort of legends, not legends, Dad. It got to into corporate Australia, you know. We 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 pay industry gigs, you know, there'd be twelve hundred people or something like that, <laughs> you know, and do some charity work. So it was. And that was, you know, coming back to culture, that sort of says pretty much everything about APA's culture. You know, the boss is a drummer, you know, happy to come and make a fool of himself, or well, not that he made a fool of him, but, you know, happy to, you know, show the rest of the organisation aside to him, and I am, I am him, but, you know, he's got, there is, you know, he does do stuff um, outside of work versus... You know, a lot of CEOs I see have they've got, you know, a veneer for professionally, and then what they do yeah. there is just you would never know. And and they, I know, seem to be a bit hesitant, scared to let people, you know, give give people a view inside of what they do, who they are. But no, that never the case with me. You're plain speaking, so I'm going to ask you a question. What's diversity? Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Mm. Um, yeah, big focus on diversity in Australia is typically about male and, and you know, men and women, fair yeah. enough. Other places around the world has, has different connotations, you know. Mm. So, um, you know, diversity in the US, for example, very rarely talked about male and female. It's yeah. about minorities and all that sort of stuff. So, yeah. you know, I just, I just throw that, that observation in the air because, you know, we're all different. The, the issue in Australia is about is gender. You know, I, I have a simple view that the best thing that, that companies um, and corporate Australia and even the bureaucracy can do for gender diversity is to promote women in, in line roles in companies so they become senior executives, CEOs, because that rounds out the experience to get them into board roles yeah. versus the focus. Understandably, I'm not just making an observation. I'm not saying it's right or wrong, or or I don't, I don't agree with it. But focus right now is more on the targets at board level. Yeah. Whereas all I'm saying, you know, I take a, bit, a medium longer term view and yep. and just grow the pool yeah. of, of talent with with women. So that was sort of a bit more my focus um, in work there. Um, well, rather at work, and you know, had some tremendously talented. Women worked for me over the years, and he'll go on to you know good executive crews if that's um, director crews if that's where I want to go to. You're also a big supporter of the indigenous. Yeah, look, it, it's you know the, it come from where where I grew up. You know, grew up with them. You know, was it was a racist when you when you were growing up, or how was it? Oh, look, you you, you would call it racist. Just that's a factual statement answer. Yeah, okay, but but in a sense, it wasn't. You know, a lot of what am I trying to say here? You know, there's a lot of words used to describe them yep. then that you you'd never use now. Right. But the actual behaviour, you know, at least from my, where I, I grew up, yep. 
was nothing that there was no there was no connotation to those words that was just what you know they were called or it was just you know but that didn't mean that they were less you know and respected or than, than anyone else but no i'm i'm you know big supporter of 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 the indigenous site because i i have a simple view that their pipes actually gone backwards from when i was a kid you think so do you? yep no doubt about that you know we as a mother would say um you know we can put a man on the moon but we can't really you know see much advancement in with indigenous and you know look it's um i'm a supporter of the Contar foundation which is around you know encouraging indigenous boys to go to school and finish school okay on the basis of you know you go to school and participate we'll we'll coach you rugby league or afl depending which state that they're operating yeah uh and that's got you know they, they get great results they operate across the country but the the, the real issue for me is and, and you know it's a i'm not saying it's a city bush view but People in the, the cities tend to, I think, oversimplify it. I think that, you know, Indigenous, you know, people put a big fence around there and let them, you know, they'll just be like, you know, they'll, they'll all be good, throw them some money. But the reality is that the white man, we, we've stuffed their culture. You know, the, um, it's, it's, you know, we've, they're between a, what their culture was and somewhere, you know, toward the, the white culture, if you like. So having said that, you know, my view to really help them along is get them into our economy, get them work, jobs, all that sort of stuff, and then that will hopefully start a, a loop of giving them, you know, the means to think about and, and, and relate relate back to, you know, their country, you know, because they do have an attachment to, to, to country, no question around that. But, you know, all I'm saying, Greg, I mean, what we're doing just dressing it up, are we? Yeah, I just, you know, I take you to places tomorrow you know, that, that are very, very sad. And we're just, you know, as I said, I'm a bit cynical, a bit sceptical about it all. I, I, I only wish the the talk about Australia Day, you know, moving the date, the people that were so passionate about that would keep that going for the whole year. You know, we're gonna, if we're going to talk about Australia Day, let's talk about the Indigenous plight full stop. Yeah, you know, right. don't just centre on that. On, on that that particular day or, or that issue, but no, no, and you know, unfortunately, there's some plenty of people that have, have violently uh, would violently disagree with my views around. Oh no, you know, don't bring them into the into the white man's culture because you know, but you know, the damage is done. We can't just leave them there, and we're better off, you know, giving them the opportunity to, you know, get jobs, bring up their kids, you know, all that. You, grows respect and and then hope you know finally that gives them the just the stability to reaffirm that attachment to to the land how's the ticker <laughs> how's the ticker well still ticking thankfully right now isn't it? yeah greg's referring to i had a um a routine medical i don't know uh, back in june or may or june last year and picked up a, a little bit of plaque on one of my veins so i um well they got to it uh, early, so all good. Had a bypass, uh, open heart surgery, which is that's a bit confronting in the sense yeah. of um, saying to your wife, "Well, they say it's it's all straightforward these days, but I hope I do wake up tomorrow." Yeah, <laughs> so, oh, and, and yeah, blessing in disguise in the sense of you know you're, you're leaving full time work. You're probably um, 
you know, you're, you're drinking a bit too much, you're eating a bit too much rich food, all that sort of stuff. And now you've got the opportunity and you've had, like me, had that sort of wake-up call. You think, uh, well, there's, there's the incentive to get, um, get focused on getting all your health, health markers uh, back up to scratch. So, no, all good. I do get the odd tweak every now and again. You, you panic, you think, oh, what's, what's going on? But no, it's um, yeah, the wonders of modern science. You're a farmer, ex-CEO now. You've worked closely with government. No doubt about you. You're a long-term thinker. You're a musician. You just touched base on a couple of really important issues around Indigenous people. And the AFR mentioned, what, in the last couple of months or the last 12 months, about you potentially being considered for a, I don't know, a political career. <laughs> Has it crossed your path? Has it crossed your mind? Well, yeah, I'd, be, I'd be honest, there's been a couple of feelers put out to me, but Greg, I, um, I'm smart enough to know that I, I, you know, if they had another Mick McCormack, like this Mick McCormack in politics, it wouldn't end smooth. Um, so You're too frustrated, <laughs> would you? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm probably the first person kicked out. I sent the sin bin out of um, <laughs> from Canberra. No, no, I'm as frustrated as the next person. But um, you know, I, I don't. Uh, I don't think. I don't think my skin's thick enough to be a, um, a politician. But no, it's it's interesting. I, I, that's been there, there've been a few overtures made, but they were uh, very promptly. Thanks very much. But um, no. I'm good. All right. So let's let's do a hypothetical. If you could call the Prime Minister or sit down with him over a coffee, what, what would you raise as the key issues? As you said, you've always got your three or four issues as a CEO. What would you raise? Oh, well, there's right now there's there's only one. And that's that's the whole thing about energy policy, but whatever you want to call it, energy policy, climate change, you know, depending on where you are on a political spectrum, you call it by a different name. But you know, there's gotta be something there's gotta be bipartisan support get that, you know, uh, at least try and get a policy going. That's that's number one. And that's only by virtue of where I spent my career, obviously, but, you know, with the fires and whatnot, it's a, you know, it's, it's a big issue right now. And people, I don't think, will forget too quickly that that what's happened in, in, in recent times and, and want some action. You know, I'm a big um, infrastructure person, so Australia needs some more infrastructure. You know, the floods, um, we yeah. keep talking about building dams and it's not a real hard proposition for anyone to grasp if your population of Sydney, whatever it's done over the last 30 years, probably double, treble, whatever, yeah. and you've got the same size tank with water, what do you expect? Yeah. You know, you, you, you just don't have the capacity, the reserve, the, 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 the capacity. So, um, yeah, and then the third thing for me is... It, as it happens, Scott Morrison is a, a, a supporter of the Contar Foundation, so I'd just be saying keep up the good work there, Scott, within that particular foundation. Great initiative and, and uh, yeah, hats off to you. Fair enough. Mick, what's the future in store? Look, I'm, um, I've had a bit of a break, but in saying that, Craig, um, it took a, a good while to sort of cut all the shackles out of APA. You know, a lot of people wanted to catch up and you know, have a drink or a dinner or lunch and, you know, both here and overseas. So, you know, thanks for your efforts, all that sort of stuff. And then I'm just, um, this is the job interview, mate. You know, you're a, you're a, uh, executive, uh, board NED head artist. So, yeah. um, yeah, if, um, a board position one or two, just something that, that I'd find interesting and, and obviously something that, you know, could, could, uh, use my skills.
And Mick, if you were to look back at the young Mick all those years ago, leaving the farm, done uni, it's his first big gig, and just before those two guys walked up to you yeah. and gave you that advice, what advice would you give yourself? That's a very profound question, I think. of so What's something erudite and scholarly in return? I don't have any regrets, you know. I, I think regrets of the sort of people that had unfulfilled lives. That's been a bit, a bit scathing, I guess. But looking back, if I start again, I found the things that you might regret aren't the things that I've done. It's the things that I haven't done. Yeah, right. You got this idea, you know, don't let it just sit there, you know, get up and do something. You know, an idea to reality always starts with you've got to take a step. So, yeah, don't, yeah, have no regrets about what you've done, but, uh, you know, but equally don't have regrets about the things that you you, you um, should have done. Yeah. Mick, thanks for joining me today. My pleasure, Greg. You've been listening to No Limitations. 